0: So how do you go about rebuilding your life after a disaster? Well, you start by praying, then you rebuild, and you pray some more, and then you never, ever give up. Hey folks, it's Karen G. from Tower Hills Communications team. Thanks for listening into to our weekly podcast. We hope you get inspiration and clarity from today's message, so feel free to share this with someone that you know so that maybe they'll feel inspired too. This week, we finished the Old Testament part of our sermon series called The Story, so let's kick it off to Pastor Teresa Swenson right now as she reviews how Ezra and Nehemiah rebuilt Jerusalem. What does God have in mind for you? That's the question we have on our hearts whenever we come to worship. Pastor Jason is away this weekend. I'm Pastor Teresa, and we are continuing today in our journey through the story. You know, if you've been with us, and if you're new with us, we welcome you to it. We've been in a journey through a condensed chronological version of the Bible, and today we come to chapter 21 which is a milestone and you are to be congratulated if you've been with us all this time because we come to the end of the old testament also known as the hebrew bible and we have been following the story of how God created us to live in relationship with him, how we fell away from him. And then God created a people, a people whom he liberated out of slavery in Egypt and had Moses lead them into the Promised Land so that they could worship the one true God. But once they got to the Promised Land, They forgot that was the reason they were there. And they started to worship the gods of the nations around them. Even their kings led them to serve and worship other gods. And that spelt the end of the kingdom. They were taken from their promised land to a foreign land where there were only foreign gods. And they lived in exile from 50 to 70 years before they were allowed to return Today's a good Sunday to talk about returning because it is the first Sunday of Lent. Many of you were here at our Ash Wednesday service, which marks the beginning of the Lenten season. As you may know, Lent is a six-week period that leads up to the celebration of the resurrection of the Lord on Easter. And the invitation that is given to us in Lent is even now, return to me, says the Lord your God, return with all your heart. And even when we are committed to following the Lord, we know that our hearts are prone to wander. And so we need that invitation to come back, come back with our whole hearts. Well, The people of God were invited to return to the nation after they had been in exile. And returning and rebuilding didn't happen all at once. Just like it doesn't happen all at once for us either. Sometimes we incrementally return to the Lord depending on how far away we have been. And so it sounds to me like we will find our story in their story once again. The exiled people of God come back to Jerusalem in three returns. The first one, and they are told to us in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, the first return, some of the people had been away for 50 years, some for 70 years, and so some of those people remembered how it was before. And that was about 50,000 people came back in the first return from Babylon, led by a man named Zerubbabel. Now, if you wonder how to remember his name, you can think that he is the one that built the temple with the people out of the rubble that Jerusalem was left in. So, rubble rebuilds from the rubble. But when they rebuilt the temple, the new temple was so small and so pathetic Compared to the glories of the temple that had been built under Solomon that the older people who remembered the first one actually broke down and wept when they saw how far they had been reduced. But the younger people that never knew the glories of the first temple rejoiced. And so we see that return and rebuilding can be different for the different generations, depending on what they knew before. Return number two happens 150 years after the exile, so now there's nobody that lived in the land before in this group. And so they return under a man named Ezra, who was a priest, and Ezra wanted to remind the people that even though they don't have a kingdom anymore, they're not a nation anymore, they are They are oppressed, and they are ruled by the oppressing empire, but still they are the chosen people of God. They are the ones that were entrusted with the commands of the Lord to know how to follow the Lord and how to obey the Lord, given to them in the law of Moses, the Torah. And so Ezra wants to rebuild the people in their understanding that they are still the chosen people of God chosen to follow the word of the Lord and to worship as his people. And the final return, return number three, comes under Nehemiah just about a decade later. And so Nehemiah and Ezra worked together. Nehemiah is concerned to rebuild the walls and the gates of the city of Jerusalem. You may remember that in those days, cities were walled as protection against invasion by enemy forces and against marauders. And if you had a city with no walls, you were completely vulnerable. So Ezra and Nehemiah both understand their part in God's bigger story, that they needed to rebuild the place where the people of God came together as a people under the word and under worship so that they could be prepared for the coming of the Savior. They still had the promise that there would be a Messiah that would one day come and restore the people in the kingdom of God. So, our question we've been asking ourselves every week is, where do I see my story in this story? What can I learn from this story that speaks to my life and my understanding of my relationship with God? Well, it is a story of rebuilding. And you may know, I think the older you get, the more you know, that rebuilding is harder than building. Rebuilding is hard, it is humbling, it is is backbreaking, and it is heartbreaking work. You've seen the pictures of people in war-torn cities trying to sort through the rubble to find a stone or a brick that they can use to rebuild their home. Building something from scratch is so much easier than rebuilding something that has broken down, once something that was once strong and steadfast and relied upon has crumbled, it's a great challenge to try and resurrect it. Think about rebuilding your home after a storm hits, or rebuilding your business after a financial crisis hits, or rebuilding your computer after your operating system fails, Or rebuilding your family after death or divorce. Rebuilding your health after a critical illness. Or rebuilding your life after an addiction takes hold. Rebuilding your faith after a time of questioning and wondering where is God in all of this. As a pastor, I have the privilege of walking beside people, sitting beside people, when they are sorting through the rubble of their lives and wondering when everything they relied on in their life has fallen to pieces. Where do I go from here? How do I begin to rebuild my life? Well, Nehemiah helps us to understand that the very first step in rebuilding is to pray. Nehemiah mourns and fasts and prays when he hears how badly things are broken down in Jerusalem. He is heartbroken, and he confesses that his people have sinned against God. But he also is sure that God will not abandon his people when they return to him in repentance and faith. He is so sure that God will hear them when they pray to him. Prayer is the place where we talk to God and we listen for God. Prayer is the place where we find the courage to do the work of rebuilding that God puts before us. We find in prayer that God longs to hear us and wants to help us. The book of Hebrews says anyone who comes to God must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. It is in prayer that we say to the Lord, we believe that you exist and that you are a rewarder when I seek you. So let's look at Nehemiah's prayer from Nehemiah chapter 1 starting in verse 3. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. Rebuild step one, pray. Rebuild step two, expect resistance. You notice that Nehemiah says, I was the cupbearer to the king. We might think of that today as a secret service agent, one who is there in a trusted position to protect. The king. So the cupbearer needed to drink the drink that was offered to the king before he did, to eat the king's food before he did, so that if anyone was trying to poison the king, they would poison the cupbearer first. And so you can imagine the kind of mindset that Nehemiah had to have because of the job that he had. Remember, when you, when you watch the Secret Service agents, they're never looking at what's happening up the front, right? They're always looking everywhere else. They're expecting opposition. They're expecting enemy activity. They're expecting trouble. And so God uses this occupation of Nehemiah's to prepare him for the work that he has for him. Nothing is ever wasted in the kingdom of God. As many of you know, I worked 30 years in the corporate world before I became a pastor, managing many people and projects. And I often say in my work as a pastor, I draw on that experience every day of trying to get people to come together and work together to a common goal. And so the Lord uses your work, your life experience, to prepare you for the work he has for you. Well, Nehemiah was familiar with opposition. He expected resistance. And so we need to expect resistance when we come to the work of rebuilding, to expect difficulty, expect others not to be on board, not to understand Expect some to ridicule and believe that a rebuild is impossible. And sometimes the biggest resistance comes from our own hearts. Because we feel that we have failed, or we feel that circumstances have conspired against us to destroy everything we depended on. And we don't believe that it is possible for us to start over and rebuild. We have to overcome our own resistance first of all. So let's see what kind of resistance Nehemiah faced from Nehemiah chapter 4. When Sam Ballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed he ridiculed the jews and in the presence of his associates and the army of samaria he said what are those feeble jews doing will they restore their wall will they offer sacrifices will they finish in a day can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are Tobiah, the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What they are building, even a fox climbing up on it, would break down their wall of stones. Hear us, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. It's so easy to give up when we face resistance. I watched a movie the other night called The Best of Enemies, which was about the struggle to integrate the schools in Durham, North Carolina, in 1971. And, of course, the Ku Klux Klan was busy terrorizing the African-Americans, as they always did, but also terrorizing the white people that were inclined to be in favor of integrating the schools. And one of the men who was, who was one of the white leaders said, you can't expect to make a change like this and not suffer the consequences. You can't expect it not to cost you anything to try and rebuild. And so when we face resistance, we pray. You notice how Nehemiah prayed again, even about the resistance. And that brings us to rebuild step step three, which is to persevere in the work. When you go to the gym, they tell you to use the resistance, right? Use the resistance to motivate you, to push you on. Use the resistance to give you something hard to push against. Don't let the resistance crush you. Fight back. Let the resistance drive you to persevere. And so, in the work of rebuilding, we need to persevere against the resistance. A good friend of mine was diagnosed with breast cancer, and we talked about the treatment options before her and, and how long it was going to take to finally get back to a place of wellness. And then I asked her about how the diagnosis was affecting her spiritual life and her walk with the Lord. And she said, if the enemy is trying to get me, he's not going to win. That's perseverance. Perseverance in the fight against cancer. Perseverance in the fight against discouragement perseverance in the fight against despair. Determination that if the enemy is trying to get me, he's not going to win. And so the scripture says, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Each one of you has your own unique race that you are called to run and persevere in. So persevere in prayer, persevere in the work. Let's see the outcome of Nehemiah's perseverance. This is from Nehemiah chapter 6. So the wall was completed on the 25th day of Elul in 52 days. When our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. As we persevere in the work, the Lord himself comes alongside us and gives us strength and perseverance beyond our own. The Lord matches our stride as we run and gives us a wind at our back. The Lord gives us the courage to go on and promises to help us. Isaiah 41 says, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So as we follow the steps to rebuild, to pray, to expect resistance, to persevere in the work, we come to the last step, which is to rebuild By persevering in the word and worship. The people assembled to hear the word of God. You remember in those days it wasn't like you had 15 Bibles on your shelf in your library. The people had to come together to have the word of God read to them. And they had not assembled together in almost 150 years to hear the word and be free to worship. So Ezra read the scriptures, the teachers interpreted it to the people, and the people understood and committed themselves to obey. Worship together is so much more precious to people who are deprived of it. I see people who are restricted, people who are not mobile any longer. And we know around the world there are people that are persecuted and are prevented from gathering, as we can hear publicly on Sunday morning. And the people that I visit that tell me, I miss coming to worship, and I wish I had come more faithfully when I could. And that's always a lesson to me, to persevere, And Lent is a good time for us to renew our commitment to the Word and to worship, to be in the Word, to come together whenever we are able, to be with God's people, to worship the Lord. Well, they did that, and it's told to us in Nehemiah chapter 8. All the people came together as one in the square before the water gate they told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Jesus is in the business of rebuilding Our joy. The joy of the Lord is knowing that we are loved and we are forgiven. So many times we stay away, we don't return to the Lord because we're afraid that when we do, it will be nothing but guilt and shame. And yet, what the Lord Jesus promises us is not guilting and shaming but the joy of knowing that we have received his forgiveness. Joy is what we lose when we're overcome by sin and when we're overcome by cynicism, when we don't believe that the Lord can restore us. But remember that Jesus is a master builder. Remember he was a carpenter, And many Bible scholars say what he really was was more like a construction worker than a carpenter in a wood shop. Jesus knows all about rebuilding broken lives, despairing hearts. And Jesus invites us to return to him, to turn away, from sin and sadness, from everything that interferes with our loving God and loving our neighbor and loving ourselves. He invites you to a life of joy. This is his invitation from the Gospel of John. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Will you answer his invitation today to return and let him rebuild your joy? Let this be a chapter in your story.